All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of The Ballot Box. It's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure to say hi, and we have a really exciting episode coming up. Finally, we get to hear uh, Johnny and Chris talk about the uh, local English elections that took place on May 6th of this year. Um, it's, it's going to be exciting and full of uh, really interesting insights. Um, so let's start with a very basic question, especially for people who aren't listening inside the UK. Um, what what sort of elections took place in England on May 6th? Uh, many, well, I think, yeah. Ma- ma- many, <laughs> many elections. So basically, the kind of funny thing about this election from, a, an English, from an English point of view is we've essentially mashed together two years worth of local elections into one go because the, the structures of English local government are... Uh, annoyingly complex <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, because of the COVID pandemic last year's local elections were delayed um, by a year and so we um, we all got to enjoy uh, two sets of local elections at once essentially um, and so um, the main the main kind of staff in some respects is just the local councils, which um, so um, there's the uh, basically two sets of local councils. There's um, a a metropolitan set primarily in the north, um, and uh, and with um, a few other councils in the south as well that are up this year. Um, primarily urban, um, traditionally mostly traditionally labour. Um, that are mostly electing their councillors in thirds, which is to say that they elect most wards have three councillors in them, and you elect one councillor every year, and then there's a fallow year. Um, fortunately, 2017 is the fallow. So the the fortunately this year would normally be the fallow year, so they didn't have to elect two at once. Um, but um, so, so I, for example, I was electing one councillor in my my ward in Manchester. Um, then there's a, another set of councils, which are the county councils, um, which are big rural councils that often then have councils under them as well. Um, albeit there's a kind of move towards kind of abolishing the councils under them and just kind of making them kind of big, powerful councils in their own right in places like Wiltshire and Cornwall. Um, uh, and that that was particularly interesting this year because 2017 was actually a particularly bad year for Labour in those councils, and um, uh, 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 but everyone kind of forgets that because it happened like a month before the general election. <laughs> um, uh, 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 and then the other things that are being elected are. Uh, metro mayors, city region mayors. Uh, So there's uh, the mayor of London, most famously and most significantly. Uh, There's also um, then from actually now in their second go uh, around um, a series of of metro mayors which have just been created um, in places like Greater Manchester, Liverpool city region, West of England, which is basically Greater Bristol, <laughs> um, and um, the West Midlands, which is basically um, Greater Birmingham, a few others, uh, um, which some of those figures have become quite significant. Um, probably the most famous is is Andy Burnham, the mayor of Greater Manchester, um, who has become kind of, who was already a quite significant national figure in his own right beforehand. He'd been like a minister in the last Labour government and had ran for leadership of the Labour Party a couple of times. So he was kind of, so these are kind of well-known figures, um, especially in their areas. And then finally, there's the police and crime commissioners, (laughs) which are not particularly interesting um, but are a strange little, I don't want to say experiment, but innovation, possibly is the word, that um, the Conservatives came up with um, and introduced in 2012, which was the idea that 
um, we're essentially going to elect the heads of police forces throughout England and Wales um, to make policing more accountable, which has, I think it's fair to say, not particularly taken light in the public imagination. Um, but um, they were being elected um, somewhere, uh, uh, they were being elected throughout England and Wales, um, it, except in those places where there's a city region mayor who has those pa same powers like London and Greater Manchester. Um, so um, it's quite a kind of technical patchwork. Um, and the kind of mayors and the PCCs are elected by a different electoral system as well. So most of these councillors and so on are being elected through first past the post. Um, those mayors and, and PCCs are being elected through what's called the supplementary vote, which is essentially a highly simplified version of instant runoff voting, where you only have two preferences and the top two go through to through to a second round, and the and second preferences are redistributed towards them, which creates all sorts of funny little problems, um, such as uh, so you know people basically have to predict who's going to be in the second round um, to cast a, a cast an effective second preference, um, which obviously becomes more complicated the more candidates are on the ballot. Um, and uh, and the kind of more difficult and the more complicated the um, the more more complicated the second round might be, and it's also and the sorry my, my Luca just <laughs> taking things away <laughs> um, and also um, the and it, it the ballot layouts are also very complicated. Okay. Uh, the ballot layers, not sorry. The ballot layer also clearly causes co confusion because it's laid out so that you have two boxes by each candidate that you put your preferences into, rather than kind of numbering them as you normally would in, for example, AB. Um, and that seems to confuse voters. Um, and that's particularly been a problem in London this year, where there's a, a very because. Um, they had so many candidates that they ended, then ended up having two columns of candidates as well, which seems to have made people think that they were voting in two separate SV elections. And so a lot of people have passed, cast multiple first preferences and had their ballots royal spoiled. It's about 4% spoiled ballots in London this year. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a complex patchwork, but um, yeah. Uh, there's a, a lot there to get into and a lot of kind of interesting data for people right. nerds like me <laughs> so 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 you know what the, the sense i gather is that there are multiple layers of local authority that are being mm. elected um mm. and there were like several important kind of kind of innovations but also quirks of the um english uh, mm. electoral system that that are worth talking about um, a, to kind of enlighten international listeners and, and to see England as local elections in England as a particular case of, um, of electoral institutions uh, interacting with political divisions, etc. But B, also maybe to show um, English listeners, although they might already know this, that there's some weird facts about the English electoral system and yes. about English political culture. And I would just want to... Um, just underline this thing that you said, Chris, which is the fact that local elections were delayed. And, and, and this is, you know, elections were delayed around the world because of COVID, but term limits were to the degree possible um, respected, I think. And term limits are, it's, it's, it's a very different thing to modify mm. term limits than it is to modify an election date. And from what I've heard, and I hope you, that you could kind of... Um, edify us about this in in england in english local elections terms were also modified yes. so could you let us know mm -hmm. a little bit so how how pushing back elections for a year worked so those those posts that were supposed to be elected in 2016 which 
um, is clearly not everything from what I've just said. Um, essentially ended up with a five-year term um, this, this time around. And, um, but next time they're going to have a three-year term to make things um, kind of reset back to the kind of normal timetable and schedule. Um, which is a... were, were there protests, pitchforks, um, yeah. and and you know mobilizations? There was buying the power grab. No, <laughs> no, there, no, there wasn't. There, there was some. It's fair to say that there was some. Um, there was some criticism, conversation around it when it was announced. I think it was probably made a little bit easier because the Labour Party actually suggested delaying the elections before the government did. And there was actually a funny moment when, like, I noticed, like, a number of Conservatives going, ah, the Labour Party is clearly trying to use the pandemic to escape electoral accountability. <laughs> and then, of course, the Conservative government delayed the elections. <laughs> so, so, but, so I think that probably made it feel a little bit more consensual. Um, but, yeah, generally speaking... Um, Generally speaking, like there, no, there weren't any protests. Uh, I mean, uh, no one cares particularly strongly. I think about the fact that it's been delayed, mm. um, particularly after the fact. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and also because because you local election, local government, just in general. I mean, I think it has changed slightly in some of those regions, which we'll we'll talk a little mm. bit later. Have acquired these sort of big new metro mayors. Um, it generally has such a low profile anyway yeah. um, that it's probably not really something that's going to attract massive amounts of, of kind of hostility. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, mm. this is a pretty centralized country. At mm. the end of the day. Yeah. Um, the, so. the other, the other thing is, yeah, that that's um, not only is it generally more centralized than most other places in, so in Europe in terms of local government, but the authorities are also, much much bigger than the average yes um we have far fewer um kind of local representatives in this in in england than than pretty much anywhere else probably apart from ireland um mm. in that yeah the councils that you, you you don't really get the situation you do in a lot of other european countries where you are thinking about each town having its own municipality and, and local yeah. government i mean that's not existed in this country since the 70s if it did in many some places at all um, yeah. Usually, yeah, they're pretty big districts, and the the covering multiple towns, and the the as Chris has already mentioned, the tendency is for them to get bigger as well, and to merge councils and merge layers of government as well into, yeah. into these single unitary authorities. Yeah, it's not worth going, but it's not worth going into in too much detail. But um, since the Conservatives came to power, local government has been at the real brunt of um, the government's drive to save money, the austerity agenda. And so um, that's, made, uh, that's made a lot of councils in the UK um, much poorer. And, uh, uh, and the attempt to merge authorities is a, to some extent a way of saving money on, mm. on services and try and get bulk, try and get kind of economies of scale. Um, and the fact that people people don't really seem to object to these mergers very much, mm. I think, is kind of illustrative that local government isn't a very emotional issue for people in, mm. in England. As long as their bins are being collected, they don't yeah. seem to care very much. I think one <laughs> one explanation I read I read about this once was that they sort of that that it, the reason that the continuing sort of the, the ever sort of increasing size of the authorities didn't have um, much opposition was because the origin originally I think originally in 74 when the bigger authorities kind of came in mm. there was generally more opposition but the fact is that once you live for a while with having these larger authorities and having the center of kind of local democracy move to these bigger towns then the the, the kind of uh, local identity, in some respects kind of weakens yeah. and then that makes it easier to do further bigger mergers because people are already kind of used to the idea we don't have democracy in the town so it doesn't really make any difference whether it's in x town or in a further away slightly further away town where the council is located yeah. and 
yeah, the scale just keeps getting bigger. So you guys have kind of, it's, 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 it's interesting talking about a non-story. It's a non-story that people, that there would be kind of like a lot of political opposition to uh, delaying elections in the same way that there hasn't been a lot of pushback against merging, um, creating larger political units, right? And, and mm. merging levels of government. My, from a kind of different point of view, someone who's used to following elections in, in Latin America more than in Europe, I think it's also a story of trust. Mm. And a story of trust, both in the administrative side of elections, but also kind of in the political system in general. So there's, there's, it's a, you know, you would, if you were, would to, if you were to try to extend the uh, term limits, uh, even in local governments, in mm. other systems, presidential systems, which are more rigid, but also, but also countries that have like a history of electoral manipulation or where there's deep mm. distrust in government. Um, there, I think there would have been massive protests and, and it would have been really polarizing actually. Yeah. So this, this, non, this non-problem is actually pretty weird, I think. Um, it's 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 yeah. good, and it's a sign of what you can do. The sort of things that can be done when there's a lot of trust in society, and uh, yeah. you know, deep kind of deep uh, democratic political culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like um, just after the local elections, we um, we had an announcement announcement from the government that they're introducing a a bill to introduce voter ID, which because of in in this country. Because, as you say, trust is so high and there's not much history of fraud, you don't have to produce ID when you go to vote. And the government wants to change this. And like one of the responses has just been, but all the survey evidence we have suggests that about 85 to 90% of people trust the voting system. So why do we need to introduce this? Uh, uh, like, this isn't gonna, like, people don't think there's a problem. Um, with the fact that we don't have voter ID, which I mean, for most countries, having voter ID, not having voter ID elections would be would be considered to be fundamentally insane. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, just opening the door for fraud and yeah, yeah, so. that's to- that that's another great example of of what trust does, um, and mm. what what high levels of trust kind of allow, um. A society mm-hmm. to do when it comes to elections another um so another very general uh, question i had for you guys is when there is an election even if it's a local election say in mexico or in the u.s your tv starts filling up with advertisements mm. radio starts to fill up with uh, political advertisements there are billboards on the streets there are tons of like um smaller uh, kind of like uh posters political posters that are that are like you know they're attached to trees uh telephone lines walls it's very clear that there's an election um because like campaign advertisement is everywhere how was it like to be in the middle of an election in in london where you you know and and in manchester i mean you guys were were you know you lived through this election this local election in terms of like how present it was in your day-to-day life, um, um, it's an incredibly an incredibly minimal presence. I would say <laughs> the most common thing in this country is for people to go canvassing door to door and knock on people, yeah, and have a chat, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I got a leaflet, and there were a couple of posters in my mm. neighbourhood. Interestingly, mostly in the windows of local businesses, which, given that the only candidate that anyone's mm. putting up posters for is the Labour Party. It's kind of slightly interesting. But mm. I mean, most of the <laughs> businesses here are, most of the businesses here are Asian run. So that kind of makes sense. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, we, we don't have, you know, the UK law bans t- t- most forms of television advertising. Mm. Um, for during elections, for instance. So yeah, you don't get the kind of barrage of ads that you get in the US. Um, yeah. So, so for yeah. people listening uh, listening to us in the US, just let's just let that sink in. No TV advertisement. <laughs> Even uh, they, so, we have some. Yeah, <laughs> we have something called a party political broadcast, where the, the, which is basically mm-hmm. allocated to um, usually, and when in a general election, it's it's parties that stand 
mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, it's more than 50 candidates, right? In a, yes. In, a, in England, at least. They get allocated a small TV spot that they can do what they want with kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's kind of very controlled. So everyone mm. gets the same amount of time, basically, kind of thing. You can't buy a political advertising on, on it on the TV at all. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, I mean, this is extraordinary from the point of view of lots of countries in the world. It would be yeah. absolutely so, so much money is spent on advertising and the yeah. argument for this sort of advertisement and the billions of dollars that get spent in it is that um, it's the free market of ideas, right? So how would, how would voters know who they're electing and what positions they have on policy issues if they don't get to advertise? Would you say, would, do you guys, did you guys end up kind of knowing what the parties were standing, what, what, do, do, do English electors know what they're, what they're voting for and mm. the sort of policy preferences, even I at mean, this kind of it, small level it, where it's not it, a national election? It's worth saying that for local elections, mostly, most of the time, they are treated as a referendum on national politics, essentially um so yeah most people turning up to vote are probably actually voting on national issues and that to some extent is reflected in the tones of the campaigns that the parties have um particularly yeah, yeah. so for example labor during the like labor's campaign national campaign wasn't particularly um wasn't wasn't particularly visible but they did talk about things like for example paying nurses more which is not a not a local <laughs> for, for, uh, yeah councils cannot choose to pay nurses more um but um it's a kind of controversy going yeah. on in the in british political life at the moment because the government wants to essentially hold nurses pay down because they say mm. they can't afford to pay them more um and so um yeah, uh, I think in some areas you perhaps were seeing a little bit more for the mayoral elections. Um, nice little thing that happens if you're um, in, a, in an area electing a mayor, you get a little booklet from the electoral commission. Yes, yes, we got a very like, nice one of those as well. Which has yeah. like a little, <laughs> which basically just has like a page for every single candidate to kind of just put like a little election poster a leaflet in um but yes that's the one <laughs> um uh, but unfortunately i live in greater manchester which is like a labor stronghold and therefore uh, and therefore i basically only had one real candidate standing which was andy burnham <laughs> Um, um could no one else even bother to produce a manifesto so um so yeah it was nice to have the booklet and so on but it just kind of <laughs> it just kind of rubbed in that there was only really one candidate standing um and that all the rest of them were kind of paper candidates yeah i think the um yeah so we say labor and the conservatives will frequently run very nationalized campaigns you do get the impression that the Liberal Democrats, and I think to a certain extent the Greens as well, will often run more localised campaigns as a yes, way because very they're... Targeted. Yes, yes. Um, and this is kind of, yeah, and this is historically when we were talking about the Liberal Democrats as a, a much bigger party than they are now, back in like the 2000s or something, they were very much known for kind of zeroing in on local issues in local elections, building up a kind of councillor base and then using that to like take control of parliamentary districts in mm. the general elections as well as kind of a stepping stone as that kind of the category so yeah i mean we do see yeah you you often see kind of occasional weird results where the liberal democrats will do well in areas that you wouldn't expect them to because they will run kind of they'll single out places where maybe there's like a yeah. um a kind of a bad labor council or something like that and then they will kind yeah. of zero in and on that, it and that chart campaign on that and yeah and that did happen this time so like two particular councils that are worth noting on that front are holland sunderland where both places where the liberal democrats made gains which you wouldn't expect them to because they're both kind of levy labor areas but they've um, both got kind of scandal-prone, mm. um, controversial, um, badly run Labour councils. Um, that, so Liberal Democrats just kind of ran on 
hey, your local council's crap. Vote Lib Dem. <laughs> Lib Dem. <laughs> um, because we know what we're doing. Um, and, and yeah, and that's a kind of traditional liberal Democrat go-to. Um, and they also, they're, they're also quite, both the Liberal Democrats and the Greens are also running a lot of anti-development campaigns in a lot of places, which is kind of um, get some support from people who mm. are opposed to more house building or to things like um, new high-speed rail line, um, things like that, which, you know, get people's backs up. <laughs> um, it, you know, um, yeah, and you, you can actually see that the, the Greens have made some um, surprising gains in like rural Tory England this time around mm. um, off the back of kind of like anti-development campaigns, even though the English Greens are typically considered to be quite left-wing in comparison to other Green parties in Europe even. Mm. Um, so, something I, I think, we haven't spoken about this a lot on the podcast and it's an important part of elections that doesn't get talk about, talked about that, that often is um, kind of campaign finance regulations, which also I think includes or should include um, advertisement regulations. So the idea that, that you know, the, the fact that yeah. parties and, and candidates can't, can't buy advertisement on TV. Um, in, they, they have a huge influence on the way in which citizens experience the election. And so with the right campaign finance regulations and also the right um, level of, or the po population per dis electoral district, you can incentivize door-to-door -door campaigning and much mm. more um, yeah. kind of like information focused rather than message or advertisement focused elections. And, and I, I, th I think that that's kind of mm. from the point of view of a country where we've had, we're constantly trying rethinking what the right relationship between money and elections are in Mexico, mm. but you know, also in the U S the same thing's true. Yeah. I think, I think um, Britain's got it right. Um, and that's probably, you know, or writer than, yeah. yeah, I, I mean, before, right you, before you kind of wax lyrical about British electoral finance, I mean, it's it's obviously, um, I would say, much better than something like the US, but compared to some other European mm. democracies, there are deficiencies in it. Um, so we don't have any kind of in the way of, or sort of do, but not really in the same way, kind of state funding for parties as, as many um, other countries would mm. do. And then you have things like... Um, uh, so, for instance, you need to put down a deposit to stand in, in parliamentary constituencies. Um, and obviously, if you don't get a certain percentage of the vote, you don't get that back. So for smaller parties, that can be quite challenging to like put up all that mm. money, which you might just straightforward completely lose um, a lot of it. Mm. On the, on, and if you don't get over the, those over that hurdle in many places. Um, so, yeah, so there is still there is still barriers to that. And and yeah. there is certainly the extent that some parties receive a lot more money from private donors from others. I think you probably can guess which party I'm talking about in this regard. Yeah. Um, but then also the Labour Party does have kind of, um, uh, has has its own sources of income, which some of the other smaller parties will not be, uh, will not be uh, privy to as well. So, yes. yeah. the, particularly the link to the trade unions yes. is a significant yeah. one mm -hmm. for the Labour Party. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, anyway. Mm. Point, point, worth, mm. point well taken. Yeah, it's still it's still not a British British election is still not a, from the point of view of the other side of the Atlantic, right across the pond. They still look uh, yeah. quite yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And, and going going back to kind of like the general landscape of the elections, what would you guys say are kind of the main headlines? What what what's been the what's been talked about with these elections, and what hasn't been talked about that you guys think might be an important theme? So so, in so I think probably the thing that most leaps out is, um, uh, and particularly when you take Wales and Scotland into account as well, is it the the local elections this year were very good for for incumbent governments um, at, at, mm -hmm. at, at, in in each of the three nations that were electing. Um, um, so, in, as as we've discussed in Scotland, the SNP did pretty well and raised its vote, and you know gained a seat. Um, and then in Wales, Welsh Labour had a had a very good election result, um, especially given that um, it, it, Wales has been trending in conservative in some ways. 
And then once again in England, the Conservatives had a good result overall, um, which is not typically something that happens to governments at local elections because people typically use them to kind of give the government a bloody nose. Um, and I, and that's to some extent obviously because of the coronavirus pandemic. All those governments have considered to have done well to some extent. Um, the Conservatives. The, the government that was looking the most rickety was the one at Westminster for a while, um, albeit they were still polling ahead of the Labour Party at a national level for most of the last year. And, um, and, and there did seem to be signs of some pandemic boost for them in, in the polling. Um, but that got a rocket booster under it because of the... Um, because of the vaccine rollout and of course those who are familiar with what has been happening to the UK um, during the pandemic will know that the UK has had one of the best rollouts of um, COVID vaccines um, since the um, since the start of this year um, we are have now given at least I think I think I saw this morning about 33 million people, at least one dose of vaccine. Which, uh, yeah, it's over your... 50% of the population, isn't it? Yeah, just a bit. Yeah. 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 Out of a country of 65 million, which, yeah, um, yeah, is pretty good going. People are obviously happy. Um, the, uh, you know, life is starting to return to normal. We can go to pubs again from tomorrow inside, you know, Museums are running back up, and 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 to make matters even better for the government, the English are fully aware that if you look over to France or Germany, things aren't looking so good in terms of their vaccine rollouts, and therefore we look pretty good in comparison to our neighbours as well. Um, so that's really put a rocket booster on the government and definitely helped them for a bit. Um, other headlines, um, the Brexit division has continued. So the Conservatives have bro broadly made gains in, um, in kind of more levy areas and Labour has broadly made gains in more remaining areas. Um, and, um, oh, what else was I going to say? There's something else I was going to say. Yep, I think that's probably broadly it. <laughs> <laughs> with, with with regards to, to vaccines and COVID-19, um, mm. I'm reminded of a wonderful article by Juan Linz called Democracy's Time Constraints and, and the notion that, you know, time plays a huge role in, in democracies because there are term limits, there are elections, but also because there's a lot of strategic... Um, there's a lot of strategic action going on by political actors to try and make certain events coincide with, elect with elections, right? And so in the case of the UK, is it luck? I, I guess a lot of it is, is basically just luck that, that elections would happen after um, vaccines were able mm. to roll out. But maybe there's also some also kind of um, political, some important policy actions that were, that were intended to kind of help boost them, uh, help boost, boost the government mm. with regards to, to um, the election, right? So making sure that vaccine rollout is effective um, by the time that people go 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 and, and elect new new local government, mm. do you guys think that there's a bit of like vaccine, let's call it amnesia? Like, can people for will are people because the UK didn't seem like it was doing very well in terms of its COVID policies, lockdown, the numbers of of COVID infections and death in the UK were actually really high mm. compared to similarly kind of rich countries. Um, but now it's doing extraordinarily well with vaccines. So mm. is there a sort of uh, effect where people forgive the government for past wrongdoings if it, if it makes up with vaccine, like a good vaccine rollout? Do you guys think that's the case? Is it maybe too simplistic to argue that? Um, what's going on yeah. there? It was never the case, I think, that the public thought that the government was doing an absolutely completely awful um like you know job where they didn't 
didn't have any sympathy at all. So there was like a lot of polling that said basically during the earlier period, we think the government has made some serious mistakes and we think that they've screwed things up, but we kind of are sympathetic because we know it's it's difficult. And, you know, people are willing to extend the benefit of the doubt because of, because, you know, global pandemics are hard. <laughs> people appreciate that they're hard. Um, and, you know, right, rightly or wrongly, the public did not seem to be kind of heading towards, uh, it didn't seem to be heading towards at any point, you think you've completely screwed everything up. Um, and and the, the point where they were most angry was was when a, a government advisor was seen to have broken the government's own COVID rules. Um, so, which is more of a hypocrisy charge than, you know, we think mm. screwed everything up, really. Mm. So, in those mm. terms, I think the space for a bounce back was always there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, I do. I think, I think, I think that it's it's probably true to a to a certain extent that, but there was or that there was a sort of a thing that the the vaccines have made people forget. But I think there was probably a fairly small group of the population that was able to have that was in that position where they were kind of umming and erring over whether the government was doing a good job and that this was able to kind of take that away from. I'd sort of switch their opinions again because I think if you looked all the way through, I feel like divided the polling on partisan lines. Yes, it's been fairly sharply de- delineated anyway. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think, but I think that it's true. I mean, so the, there was a period in sort of around sort of in the middle of the winter where the parties had drawn kind of level in the polling, um, which is probably the worst it got for the government. Um, mm. in this and then they have uh because january is in, in this country i mean it did feel really grim at one point when they were talking about kind of like hospitals maybe turning people away etc kind of a breaking point but then mm. yeah and then as soon as the vaccine rollout started to pick up pace and then we've headed into the kind of various stages of reopening it does seem yeah that they've they've the gap has, has widened quite considerably again between them and they do seem to have have, have, have regained the the kind of uh incumbency pandemic boost that they had yeah and, and in some ways kind of exceeded it as well yeah i would say um yeah it's, it's really towards the top end of how they've been doing since the pandemic started an interesting point of comparison although um i mean like all comparisons it's not perfect but like the u.s the trump administration did terribly when it came to a lot of the the its actions on covid and paid very dearly for that right of course, mm. the term limits and the election date was is set in stone, can't be moved, and now Biden is really benefiting from the from the vaccine boost, right? Yeah, um, it, you know, and you can kind of see that. Um, it, mm. While the conservative government has been in in uh, an incumbent, you know, has been, been been in power, both for the pain of COVID mismanagement, but also now for the boost of kind of COVID, yeah. vaccine. Um, yeah. Uh, effective yeah. vaccine vaccination uh well that mm. yeah um how about the what, what were the kind of general results i know we, we can't go into detail into every kind of council and mm. stuff but maybe yeah. kind of generally how did uh parties do and then also what results did you guys find surprising um yeah. if, if there were any surprises yeah well, it was um, obviously the headline is going to be that the it was because this is a very old government now and the conservatives did did fairly well from this but i think for most yeah. of the parties there was a kind of sense that yeah that there was very interesting geographical variations in where they were doing well and where they were kind of falling yeah. back the only party i think had an unambiguously good night was probably the greens that seemed to be gaining pretty much everywhere and doing fairly well um mm. but yeah i mean as we talk about the I conservatives mean, given they're going from these... a very low base as yes well. this is also Perfect. true yeah um but the mm. Yeah, but also, yeah, like the Conservatives obviously were gaining quite a bit in some of these areas, particularly in the north and other areas where they hadn't previously done, had had kind of much of a presence. But then they were losing seats across the the south of England, where the traditionally kind of strongholds were to 
to various parties, really. I mean, as we've mentioned, the Greens making kind of a lot of headway, but also in some places, even to Labour and um, to the Liberal Democrats as well in yeah, some yeah. areas as well. And um, uh, yeah, so yeah, it's been, it, yeah, it, it kind of interesting, interesting set of results. And I think Chris has already kind of touched upon this, that this kind of uh, realignment um, that is is going on. It's not so much there, not as simple to talk about how it's, um, conservatives massively up labor down kind of thing uh, it's uh it's a bit mm. more of a kind of interesting picture that the there's yeah, yeah. Uh, changes in where the parties do best yeah and we we talk about it in terms of um leave remain from the re- from the referendum and so on um and, and it is clear that yeah it's not as simple as north versus south so for example with greater manchester where i am mm-hmm. the labor gained in trafford which is traditionally conservative um, but is quite remain and they lost seats in bolton which is traditionally labor but uh, voted leave uh, so it, 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 you know it, it, it's a it's a demographics thing to a certain extent it's where you've got graduates is essential. It is essentially a division, and that kind of, you know, Brexit is over. Um, we have now left the EU, um, but the way that it shaped our reshaped our politics is still with us. Um, I, I think it's probably not. To some extent, there might be a little Brexit gratitude in there from Leave areas, and the fact that you know, Boris Johnson said what he was going to do. His 2019 election campaign was literally get Brexit done. That was the slogan. You know, he's got Brexit done. Um, But um, but it's also the Brexit stuff was always to some extent getting at kind of deeper divisions, which have always existed Mm. in British society and which which the conservatives have begun to kind of lean into much more strongly anyway, because of the way that their um, way that their electoral base has been reshaped by Brexit. Um, Mm. So um, this division down British society continues and mm. it's probably likely to keep continuing um, mm-hmm. as as things roll on um, but yeah uh, yeah uh, and yeah uh, it, it, it's obviously deeply disconcerting for the Labour Party because I mean for example the one the first result we had was the loss of the Hartlepool by-election now Hartlepool is a a, a Westminster seat, which is the Labour Party has held for decades upon decades, which had been looking kind of creaky for a long time. Um, and yeah, now finally lost to the Conservatives as essentially mm. um, Nigel Farage's Reform Party, all its, almost all of its vote has just gone straight to the Conservatives mm. before they were able to leapfrog the Labour Party. Um, and yep. so, yeah, that kind of stuff is obviously quite scary for the Labour Party. <laughs> right. I, I see I see that you've already... I, I understand why you would speak of, like, Brexit and Labour together, but be, and, I, and I wanted to ask you specifically about Labour. But before that, just to clarify, do you guys see this election as evidence of a sort of, like, realignment of the main parties in, in Britain becoming kind of the Brexit versus Remain constituency is that is that too simplistic a narrative i wouldn't say i wouldn't say brexit yeah yeah probably it's not best to think of it now especially as as a brexit divide but more as a divide between um kind of socially conservative voters um regardless of where they sit on economics um versus socially liberal voters um so um, and, and to some extent, Brexit was a kind of a cynic docket of like those of, of that divide, which had been kind of quietly kind of bubbling away under the surface in British politics for many years. And then suddenly the referendum came along and completely catalyzed it. Um, um, very good book on this, actually, written by my supervisor, um, Brexit Land, available from all good bookshops. Um, <laughs> we're, we're taking we're taking advertisements, by yes. the way, from academics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Special offer with your free code for this yeah. podcast. He, he has in no way he has in no way asked me to do that, and I'm making no money out of it. But um, if someone wants to send us some money over that, yeah. feel free. Um, <laughs> 
joke. Okay. Um, a headline I read was that labor, that this was kind of like election fallout for labor was basically terrible, um, despite the change in leadership, which has gone from kind of one pole of labor to another pole of labor from yeah. Jeremy Corbyn to Keir Starmer. Um, that it's, it's it, despite that, despite this change in leadership and tone and image, Labour had still been done really, really terribly, mm. and it just all looks really bleak. Is mm. that is that a fair is that a fair headline? Um, I'm sure I'm sure the story is more nuanced. I mean, it is a bad result, um, and and you know I think people are, are exaggerate how right wing living Labour Keir sits, but you know broadly he is obviously more moderate than, than mm. Corbyn. Um, but um, but there are bright spots in there for Labour. So um, if you look at the so as I said at the start of this, this is essentially two local elections in one. If you look at where at the councils that were up in 2016, um, Labour has made losses, but in the ones that were up in 2017, Labour has actually made gains because 2017 was a really bad result for the Labour Party, um, like apocalyptically bad. And then a month later, <laughs> Labour made massive gains in the, the um, parliamentary election that ha happened, which is a reminder that, first of all, local elections aren't forever. And because of the vaccine bounce, this is probably a particularly good moment for the Conservatives. You know, this may well represent kind of peak Conservative um from um in this parliamentary term um and and compared to 2019 as well you can see that labor has actually gained a little bit in in for almost across the country um so it's not without its bright spots for labor but that said it is still a very bad result because ultimately better than 2019 for instance is still um, is still um, pretty bad. It can be pretty bad without it, it, it. It can be still pretty far from being in a winning position um, because 2019 general election mm -hmm. was one of the worst results for the Labour Party in its history. <laughs> mm. So there's a lot of room between winning and 2019 general election. <laughs> but yeah. So on that point of view, from the Labour Party's point of view, they, are, they can at least consider themselves to kind of be going in the right direction and it, it's not as bad as it could have been. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I do think there's, yeah, there's, there's some, there's a few bright spots for them to think about. Um, mm. I also think there's, there's, there's an extent to which um, it's, it's partly based on kind of an assumption over the past year that, among a lot of people that Keir Starmer seemed to be um, working in a way and that they mm. did seem to be polling better than they had for the last election for quite a bit. It did seem that he was generally fairly popular in the country at large, mm. but it, yeah, it obviously doesn't, hasn't translated into immediate electoral recovery, but there's also extent that, that Labour is in a, an incredibly tricky structural position. I mean, just, just in terms of, if you think about the number of successful social democratic parties in Europe, I could probably count them on my hand and none mm -hmm. of them would be as successful as they would have been in 20 or 30 years ago either. Um, yeah, it's just, it's in, a, it's in a very big position and it's a very difficult position. And that is to a certain extent um, going to be accentuated by the first past the post electoral system in a certain way. Um, in that it has to sort of very delicately balance these two constituencies of, of voters that it has um, in order to kind of to, to win under this under this system. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's 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 in a, it's in a very difficult a different very difficult position I think as as a party. Um, but on the other hand, I think I remember seeing someone writing over the past couple of weeks that it, it's almost like um, <laughs> it's kind of it's 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 very hard for it to win but is kind of kept alive by the electoral system just because it demands yes. party competition to a certain extent. Um, so that explains why 
even though we talk about Labour doing really badly, it's polling well in excess of like most of its um, kind of European counterparts at the moment. Um, but a lot uh, of European Social Democratic parties would kill for like regular poll results of 35%. But here it is viewed as, as pretty dreadful. Mm. Mm. And, and in part, that's because the Conservatives have gained so much over the last, mm. you know, um, over the last 11 years as well. Um, and, and elections ultimately are relative to some extent. And this, this is a good segue into kind of thinking about and another question that I was going to ask you guys, which is about the, 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 mayoral, the, the elections for the mayor of London. So that's yeah. obviously firmly Labour. Um, and there's a very incredibly charismatic politician um, as the mayor mm. of London. Um, mm. Could you first, so, so, so like in the 90s, people used to say that Mexico, winning Mexico City was like basically winning the second highest office in Mexico after the presidency. Um, would that analogy mm. be true of, of the, the, the mayorship of London? Um, given that it's such a, you know, kind of the, the economic mm. nucleus of the country. And then mm. kind of what, what's up with Sadiq Khan? Why is, he, why is he so popular? Why did he win handily or not? And, and kind of why? Mm. So no. I, I think to go to the, <laughs> the, exactly, yeah, I go to the second part first. Mm. The, the, he, this was, um, in some mm. respects, the labor, the London result books the national trend because this is the kind of very, quote unquote, Romani area that we would expect Labour to be going in, but it actually declined in, in London because it was held, they both held elections to the mayor and the London Assembly, which is a, a strange kind of quasi-legislative body that is the kind of counterpart yes. to, the, to, to the London mayor, um, where Labour lost seats in this and basically everyone else gained seats because um, they already had also had the... Greens and the Liberal Democrats, which are increasing in London as well, um, and also the Conservatives up slightly as well. Um, and and we think that before for the mayoral election, before the election that took place, the the polls and the just general assumption seemed to be that this was going to be a, a landslide of kind of, uh, of just yeah. biblical proportions. Yeah, that it, gonna, it didn't happen it, like yeah. that in the end. Yeah, it is. Mm. It is worth noting that if you look at the polls, there is actually a, 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 di a quite sharp dip in like the last week or two beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not something... So Sadiq's underperformance isn't a complete surprise, but it's, it is kind of a shock, particularly because the Conservative candidate was broadly considered to be quite poor, um, mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say. I don't think anyone thinks that Sean Bailey ran like the greatest campaign that has ever been ran by a conservative mayoral candidate at the very least. He's made a lot of mistakes, mm. had a lot of gaffes. Um, so yeah, from that point of view, it's, it, it, it doesn't seem to be like an a, a conservative overperformance that is about Sean Bailey at the very least. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Cause he was an unusual candidate as well. Cause the tendency for London, um, May, the mayoral race is because I mean so, so the first part of your question is true to a certain extent this is generally one of the the more high profile offices mm. outside of national politics that exists in the country and so you've tended the parties will put up candidates which are usually like former MPs or government ministers mm. will run for this post and that's always been the case before yeah but he, he he wasn't he was just a member of the London Assembly and it was because Sean Bailey and it was kind of concerned I think sort of a sign that they picked him was that uh, the big names in in wet national politics were not interested because there was this assumption that the Conservatives were not going to win it but he ended up doing about as well as the last mm. Candidate, the Conservative candidate in 2016, who was a more prominent national figure, and and this was with all of these him saying uh, mm. stuff, which was what well, the gaffes and stuff, which was very kind of uh, on the more socially authoritarian mm. end, which didn't seem like it was going to play very well in London, um, and and ended up yeah doing mm. just about as as well. Um, I think it's but I mean I mean Sadiq Khan is. Uh, I don't know how to say. I think it's sort of the, the the feeling I get is that he's sort of 
vaguely generally acceptable to a lot of people, but doesn't have a massive string of notable achievements that you can reel off um, in going into the election. Yes. Yeah. And has perhaps has, um, yeah, has perhaps kind of suffered from that in the end. And I also, yeah. The, uh, yeah, there was the, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's also been, the environment has been particularly tough for any London mayor. I mean, I, I I think he's definitely made mistakes, and I'm not going to ride to the rescue for him. But um, the, the the government has been trying to cut money out of out of London government, and the London mayoralty does not have any um, significant um, revenue raising powers. Um, so that's um, caused him uh, that's caused him problems in terms of you know. You, you're essentially trying to figure out where to put government cuts mm. um, and particularly in terms of transport for London who run, you know, the tubes and buses and so on. Um, he's also, um, and then that problem got made worse by the pandemic because of course TfL was no longer making money from tube journeys and so, uh, uh, and, and so on, um, which basically ended up in the government, basically imposing a financial settlement on on london uh, mm. uh which um has been very unpopular um and which they've then tried to blame on on sadiq khan um to um to try and get away from it um so in those terms it's it's not been a particularly glowing mayoralty but at the same time it's also a very difficult set of conditions um mm. so yeah mm -hmm. maybe something to note uh, obviously not for the british listeners who they already know this but both like sean bailey is is black and sadi khan mm. is of south asian heritage yes, and so and, like and muslim as well muslim yes. so like you know mm. the, the the two front runners for the for the mayoral election in London were mm. what in the U.S. Would, would be called people of color. That's that's pretty amazing. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, um, mm. yeah, yeah. It's it's quite yeah. fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah. It's mm. yeah, and it's it, yeah. It's also worth saying in the end as well that um, I don't think this should be viewed as a, a great result for conservatives, particularly because turnout declined in London, mm -hmm. um, like in most of the country. Um, so there's been some attempts by Sadiq Khan's people to put this essentially down to COVID panic. Um, I mean, I don't understand why there would be COVID panic in London and nowhere else. Um, <laughs> I think it's probably just that people looked at the election for, I know which way this is going to go. I'm not particularly energised by any candidate, so I'm not going to bother. Um, and there were also quite a lot of votes cast this year for um, third party candidates as well, yeah. Which is probably is a, probably a sign of protest voting to some extent, mm. yeah. yeah. So, all in all, yeah. I think it's just like people don't feel an uh, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, sorry, carry on, Jonathan. Yeah, no, I was just going to agree with you. I think, that, yeah, there was a, an unusually large number of candidates, and I do get the impression just. Anecdotally, talking to my like friends voting and stuff, that and myself actually, that there was we would put a smaller candidate first preference and then Sadiq second, basically, and that this is probably mm. that the um, maybe maybe slightly accounting for his the the closer gap between the two candidates in the first round than we were expecting, although he did he did fairly um, he did he did win with about a ten point margin in the in the second round one. When yeah. all the second preference is taken into yeah. account, it was in no way a close. Mm -hmm. It was no no way a close race in the end. Mm -hmm. It was just closer than anticipated, and it is worth remembering as well that London is not has not historically been the Labour stronghold that we now consider it to be. No, I mean, Sadiq, no, not at all. Sadiq, yeah. Sadiq Khan's literal predecessor, after all, is the current Prime Minister. Um, it's, mm. it's not the case that um, London is, is without con people who are conservatively minded or has ever, has ever been mm. without people who are conservatively minded. Yeah. Um, and we, yeah, we also have to remember these, the, the, when we're talking about 
unlike in some other countries, this body that were elected, the mayor and the and the assembly, are not covering um, a kind of a fairly compact municipality of the centre. This is a really big authority which covers um, many kind of outlying boroughs, which are very suburban in character and do have mm-hmm. kind of a strong conservative presence. And some of them were also a kind of quite. Uh, quite kind of levy in the in the EU referendum terms as well and share some of those characteristics of the places um, that we're talking about whether conservatives have been making gains as well so it's not yeah. it's not all kind of a, a homogenous kind of uh, a, a kind of a, a place which an environment which would be which would be good for labor everywhere in London yeah no, no there are some still quite conservative parts of, mm-hmm. of London um, particularly like Havering Bromley Brexit. Mm-hmm. there's kind of parts of kind of south East and south, uh, southeast London, oh, mm-hmm. like right at the very edge of the of the um, conurbation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we want to talk about the other mayors a little bit, and then wrap yeah. it, try and wrap up a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. I think you say like most of them um, were were re-elections um, mm-hmm. for for incumbents in this. Um, I thought, yeah, we've also most of the big headline ones are the are the the metro mayors, which are these big mayoralities that should have been in, introduced over the last few years, which cover um, usually kind of larger like collections of local authorities, which have now got these big mayors o- above them. Um, the other one that there was the mm. one other really that was uh, at a at a city level, which got would would was probably got the most attention, was the most high profile. After that was probably the was the Bristol race. Which occurred, which took place at the same time as the council mm. elections. Um, that one I found that was was pretty interesting because that featured um, a Labour Green runoff in the end. Um, obviously, Greens have always done yes. really well in, in Bristol, but they did really well this time. The council elections, which I held on the same de- same in same simultaneously, they actually took the most votes and came equal yes. with Labour in the seats as well. So that was a kind of yeah. So yeah, they had a pretty particularly good, good result in in the west part of the city which is very yeah. um hipstery and mm-hmm. kind of progressive and and quite radical. yeah, I'm trying and to think I think, of, yeah yeah i think they, they they won about 48 percent of the vote in the bristol west constituency mm-hmm. uh american list sorry for not having any kind of uh, european examples right off the top of my head but for american listeners i think maybe for, for a Bristol analog, maybe something like Portland or something like that. Yeah. Could fit quite well. Yeah, this is kind of the image of people. Most people have of Bristol in this country as that kind of yeah. that kind of city. Yeah. Yeah. Most um, of the it's also um, just to go back to the Metro Mayors a little bit, some of the incumbents did quite well, really well. Um, often ones that were seen to have over uh, had done really well in the job. So Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester kind of had a had a really good result, even in, in really leavy parts of of Greater Manchester, he won every single ward in the city in in the conurbation. Which, considering there are some quite conservative parts of Greater Manchester, which is not something that people typically imagine, is a statement of how, how of how strong his personal vote is. Ben Houchin in Teesside as well as a really popular conservative mayor got seventy three percent of the vote um, off the off the back of um, it, which is a traditionally Labour area, um, but he's quite an interestingly. Um, ideologically flexible fellow guy. So, like, one of the first things he did was he saved the local airport by nationalising. Um, and then, um, and then there were two mayors who did, were considered done quite badly, both in the south of England, um, west of England, and west uh, and Cambridge and Peterborough, which both saw Labour gains. So, mm-hmm. I think that's a good illustration that these metro mayors which are still pretty new have have done the job of of grabbing enough attention that people are at least voting on on Mm. on on the basis of their view of what the incumbents are doing yeah Um, yeah so the the cambridgeshire result was was fairly interesting as well because it seemed to be definitely the case that um Mm. the 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 non-conservative parties had had actively transferred against the conservative yes. candidate and that the lived down was... can yeah the supporters had were quite uh was were were a big part of why the labor was able to take that yeah one as well yeah i mean that that was helped it should, it should it's kind of worth pointing 
keeping out by the fact that there were only three candidates in that race. And so mm -hmm. therefore, in a supplementary vote system where you've already got two preferences, it's very clear where to put your preferences. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, that was definitely, I think, helpful there as well. But yeah, there's, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, I think that's a good sign for the Metro Mayor for mm. the future. Um, yeah, because yeah, this, mm. this seems to be the big the big thing, the big way that um, the government wants to mm. decentralise power, um, or, or at least appear to be decentralising power, yeah. is to create of these things across the country. So, yeah. I, I genuinely think it's probably it's the biggest change to governance in England since the 70s. Mm. Um, yeah. They're, they're yeah. Albeit, I live under the most powerful of the metro mayors. So, um, yes, yeah. Well, no, this is this is also yeah. the thing, and which many um, mm. international listeners will find bizarre is that each of these mayor mayoralties have a different power set. None of them have the same kind of thing. It's not uniform at all. They've done various yeah. like little local deals with groups of councils of whether they want to like. They, basically, if you get a mayor, then they'll give you some more powers, but. They don't always agree on which powers that they want to take. Um, so yeah, they're all kind of found different powers as well. Um, so yeah, it's really it's kind of a slightly bizarre kind of system that has been set up. But yeah they, yeah, they are appearing in ever more areas. And there was um was there and you, just the just the, the well, new one this time, wasn't it? West Yorkshire, I think was West Yorkshire, which is yes, yeah, so it's yeah. essentially um great which uh, people there won't appreciate me referring to it as greater leads. But that's practically what it is. Uh, so, um, sorry to people from Bradford. I know you think you're more important than Leeds, but yeah. <laughs> that's the biggest thing. Great. I, th I think this has been a, a kind of wonderful tour through through the, these local elections in England. Do you guys feel like there's there's more you want you would want to add to this? I, I might just quickly mention that the PCC elections. Um, were very good for the Conservatives, but broadly what seems to have happened is that they've just kind of reflected the politics of the local area. In fact, the last... So the PCCs were notable at one point for having huge numbers of independents. There were no longer any independents left, the, the independents of all, And I think that... So in contrast to the Metro mayors, I think that's a good demonstration that the PCCs have not captured people's imagination. Okay. So, yeah. PCCs being police and crime commissions, right? Police yes. and crime commissioners, which, yeah, everyone has forgotten because they're so boring. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Coincidentally, the, the first election I ever voted in was the uh, inaugural police and crime commissioner elections back in 2012. Which, uh, which, the lowest it, it, turnout ever, yeah. The lowest turnout ever in a, in a UK election. <laughs> um, yeah, 15% turnout. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. And um, I'm, I'm putting up with all the talk about England. Um, promise we'll, we'll get back to more international subjects. Next episode, well, we'll be talking about the elections to the, the Chilean Constitutional Convention, which should be a, a fascinating set of results for a really kind of unique type of election that we've not had chance to cover yet. Um, so yeah, until then, please, please do rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to this and follow us on Twitter where we're at Ballot World. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you.